Good morning again. We are continuing into part nine of our series on Exodus, the way out. Today is entitled, When Going Back is No Longer an Option. Would you bow with me once more? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and active, and you are ready to speak to us by your spirit and through your word here today. So I simply ask, Lord, that for me, your servant, would you give me the boldness to speak your word, give me the energy, Lord, and may the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story told concerning General George Washington from the time of the American Revolutionary War. The story goes that General Washington and his troops had crossed over a bridge en route to the battleground of what was sure to be a fierce fight with the vastly superior British forces. When just as the battle had begun, one of Washington's officers came to him and asked whether or not to burn the bridge behind them. Now, the tactic to burn the bridges as they crossed over them was risky. The plus was that if they burnt the bridge behind them, it would prevent the enemy from slipping up on them from the rear and taking them by surprise. It also eliminated any possibility of the men thinking there was a way to flee from the battleground. But of course, the minus of using this strategy was that it left no possible way of retreat if the battle turned against them. And so they knew that if they burned the bridges behind them, it was either victory or destruction. So the officer came to the great general, asked him, should I burn the bridges behind us? And General Washington looked towards the fierce battle that had already begun. And then he looked back to where they had come from, back towards the battle, and finally he gave his answer. Burn the bridge. It is either victory or death. There are moments in life where we want nothing more than to retreat from the battle. Times where we hit a dead end and we just want to go back to the way things were before. The only problem with that is God has only designed life to move in one direction. You may have figured this out already. What direction is that? Forward. It's the only way life works because unlike in the movies, there is no time machine. There is no rewind button to go back and to do things over. And just as we can't go backward in our physical lives... So too, we can't go backwards in our spiritual lives. For as we will see in this morning's text, in the life of faith, there are only two options available to us at any given time. Those two options are this. Go forward in faith and live, or shrink back and be destroyed. Now, in a very real sense, Israel needed to have their bridge back to Egypt burned in order for them to be fully committed to moving forward with God's plan for them. And you know what? We might just need to burn some bridges of our own if we want to move forward with God's plan for our lives as well. Now, before any of the pyro farmers here this morning get out their tiger torches and gasoline, did you say burn something? I'm ready. (laughs) You know a couple of those types, right? (laughs) Put the tiger torches away. Put the matches down. Let's turn to God's word. And uh, we've already familiarized ourselves with the text this morning, but let's just jump right into the middle of it. And I want to draw out a key verse from our text from Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? 
Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, just as that was God's word to Israel all those years ago, I believe that that is God's word for us, his people, today. Go forward. Not backwards, not sideways, and not standing still either. Forward is the direction that God always has for his people. Now, you may be asking, you know, why is going forward, why is this so important? Why are we going to stress it so much this morning? Well, let's look at several reasons why it is absolutely vital for us, God's people, to move forward. The first reason is we must move from fear to faith. From fear to faith. We left off last week with the children of Israel having just been delivered by God's mighty power from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. And we saw how in the tenth and final plague of Egypt, God struck dead all of the firstborn males in the land who were not under the covering of the blood of the Passover lamb. And so the people set out on their journey that night, 600,000 men strong, plus all of the women and children, fresh with the spoils of Egypt that the people had heaped upon them, saying, get out of here or we're going to be destroyed entirely. And so with a high hand, they marched out boldly, the text says, soaring hopes and expectations of what lie directly ahead of them in the promised land. And so now, having just marched out of Egypt, only a few days after this great deliverance, they encounter their first detour. If we turn back to Exodus chapter 13 and verses 17 to 18, there we read this intriguing passage that Rather than taking the people along the direct route to Canaan, God instead leads them around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. It's God himself who leads the people on an indirect path, on a detour through the wilderness. It's a curious passage. Now, let me just ask, who here enjoys taking the scenic route? Anyone? Like when when the GPS gives you the option, scenic route ahead, you're just like, sign me up. Now, who here hates the scenic route? It's just like, let's get from A to B as fast as possible. Who's, who's in that category? Okay, a few of you are in that category. Probably I noticed some of you are like married couples. One put their hand up for one and the other. That, that makes it interesting. Now, let me just say, last year while on family vacation, we visited some friends in Churchbridge, Churchbridge Saskatchewan. It's on the road to Yorkton on the Yellowhead. And so I punched into, the, into whatever the, the GPS was to go from Church Bridge down to Regina because we were going to head to Alberta. And so uh, I took the second turn after the GPS set. I'm like, how big a deal could that be? And we ended up zigzagging from Church Bridge to Regina using almost exclusively farmer's trails. (laughs) And if you don't believe me, just ask Leanne. Um, She she was very impressed with the scenic route. (laughs) At one point, we were actually on a farmer's field and I had to turn around and... And figure out where we were going. As long as we were headed in the same direction, the good thing it was Saskatchewan. So I'm like, you know, we can see. It's just we just got to find our way. And we did eventually. Now, while the scenic route is fine when you're on holidays with time to spare. And fine so long as you have a patient wife. It's not so great when you arrive at a dead end. And there's a murderous tyrant with his army on your tail. Because when Israel arrives, directed by God. Remember that. God's the one who led them here. When they arrive at the Great Red Sea, on either side of them, the Bible says, there's wilderness, they're hemmed in, there's mountains and rugged terrain on either side of them, 
And then they very quickly discover from the rear guard that someone's on their trail. They can see the dust clouds of Pharaoh's army and all his chariots, his elite troops, closing in fast. And so here we see, for all practical purposes, there is no way out. They can't go sideways. They certainly can't go forward through the sea. And to go back to the army is destruction and enslavement. They are completely entrapped. And not surprisingly, in this situation, the people are terrified. Chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, we read, They cried out to Moses, saying, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Talk about a quick change in attitude. From few days earlier, marching out of Egypt boldly, celebrating. And so here we would think that having just experienced God's mighty power on full display just a little more than a week earlier, Israel might have had just a little bit more faith to trust God in this circumstance as well. But sadly, that is not the case. They had trusted God to do the impossible in delivering them out of slavery, but now they lacked the faith to trust him to deliver them from this difficult circumstance. So let me ask you this morning. How often don't we do the same thing? Think about it. If you're a Christian, if you're here this morning, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a believer, then think about this. You have trusted in Jesus Christ to save your soul from sin, death, and an eternity in hell. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? You have literally pinned your entire hope for eternal salvation on him. What's bigger than that? What's bigger than pinning the eternity, the eternal destination of your soul on Jesus Christ? If you've done that, then let me ask, having given him the most important thing, how often do you struggle to trust him to work out the temporary circumstances of life? You've trusted him with the eternal, the biggest thing, your soul. But now here I'm facing a a trial and we say, Lord, I can't trust you for this. I've got this. How often don't we do that? You know, I found in my own life that it doesn't take a massive circumstance like having Pharaoh's army descending on me to shake my trust in God. Smaller things can do it. You know, here are a few examples of things that may have shaken your trust at one time or another or maybe something you're facing right now. A diagnosis of a dreaded disease or an illness or a disability. Financial struggles, perhaps losing a job or facing the ongoing challenge of having more month than money. Struggles with children, whether at home or grown. Perhaps they're rebelling against you or have turned away from God and his path entirely. Relationship problems, perhaps a marriage in crisis or trying to figure out life in the aftermath of a divorce or a broken relationship with a close friend or a family member. Perhaps you're struggling with just our troubled world. You know, the upheaval around us politically, economically, and morally, people turning against God more and more. You know, all of these things can cause us to not trust God. And so when we face these difficulties or any other, we, like Israel, often wish we could go back to the way things were before. Remember what they said? Better slavery in Egypt than destruction in the wilderness, right? 
But look again at God's response to this type of thinking in verse 15. Listen to what he says. Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. In other words, God is saying, stop crying. Stop being so afraid. I didn't deliver you this far only to have you destroyed now. Trust that I have a way forward that you can't see right now. You see, between Egypt and the promised land lay a winding journey. Yes, God could have paved a smooth road straight there for them. He could have just removed all of their enemies in advance and they could have just waltzed right in on the most direct route to the promised land. But he didn't. And it begs the question, why? Why didn't God just smooth the way right there for them? Well, there's a number of reasons. The first is repeated multiple times in our text. God sought to glorify himself in this. In the end, it's all about God's glory. He knew that he would be glorified most, not by taking them on the direct, easy path, because then they could say, well, everything just worked out their way. It wasn't God. It was their doing. God sought to glorify himself. That was of paramount importance. Secondly, Egypt was under God's judgment. We can't forget that in this text. Egypt had done things that God had decided he was going to judge them for. And don't miss this. There is a poetic justice in that the very same army who had drowned the babies of Israel was now themselves drowned in the Red Sea. Isn't that God? God brought judgment on them in the very same way that they had inflicted murder and, and, and killing the, the, first, the males of Israel. It's... it's So striking that God judged them in the same way that they had been persecuting Israel. And then, thirdly, the reason God took them on this route through the wilderness and to the Red Sea is because God's children had a lot of growing up to do. Remember, God's whole point wasn't just getting them to to the promised land. God's point in all of this was to create for himself a holy nation, a peculiar people who would be set apart to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And in order for that to be accomplished, it wasn't just about putting them in a geographical location and giving them borders and saying, now you're my people. No, they needed an inner work. And the inner work required that first and foremost, they would have to learn to trust God unconditionally. And so too for us, between the moment of our salvation and our entry into heaven lies a journey of faith. You know, the moment we believe, God could just parachute us straight to heaven, but he doesn't. He has a purpose for our lives and things he wants to teach us and wants us to accomplish for him between the moment of our salvation and our arrival into heaven. And if we are going to live Jesus' mission out in the world and for our lives, we need to learn to walk by faith and to trust him unconditionally to move from fear to faith. Because you see, the minute that we stop moving forward in our spiritual walk, The next thing we know, we find ourselves no longer walking in faith, but instead living in constant fear of even the smallest things. Instead of putting our trust in God and in his word, we will begin to discover we believe more and more the lies of the devil who instills the fear of sickness, death, bankruptcy, failure, and inadequacy, unknowns, the fear of the future. All of these things start to bear down on us and we start to believe them and we stop stop trusting. 
But in contrast to this, God's word says, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So now if we look back to the end of verse 8, it says that Israel marched out of Egypt boldly when they left. And why not? God was with them. There wasn't a speck of fear in their heart, so they marched out of there singing. I'm sure the tambourines were going. They were just rejoicing. There was a shouting, uh, a just celebration along the way. And how quickly that changed from singing to wails of fear at their first roadblock. And if you're here today and you find yourself filled with fear, fear of the unknown, fear of any of the things that I've talked about this morning, chances are that you've hit a roadblock in your spiritual progress. Somewhere along the way, a trial or a difficulty is causing your faith to be replaced by fear. Thankfully, God wants to replace your fear with faith starting right now. Invite him to begin doing that work in your heart even right now. You see, God God never promised Israel. God never promised Israel then or us today that the road would always be easy. But he did promise to be with us. And he promised that he would always show us the way forward to those who trust him. Israel then and we today still have to follow. We are not to set up a permanent camp in the wilderness, and we most certainly cannot go back to Egypt. We cannot go back to a life of sin, to a life of enslavement, to a life lived our own way without God. No, we must go forward with God, moving from fear to faith. Secondly, we must move from complaining to confidence. Let's look again at verses 11 11 and 12, what the people said to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? Notice the irony. They came from Egypt, a place that is literally filled with graves, tombs, great monuments. They'd built a lot of them with their own hands. There's irony in what they're saying. They're complaining. And notice who they blame. Moses, (laughs) why did you bring us out here to die? Rather than voicing confidence in God... They complain and immediately blame all their problems on their leader. Of course, they don't want to assume any of the responsibility for themselves, and it'll happen every time. When we stop moving forward in faith with God, that is when our loudest complaints usually begin. Because you see, when we are going forward with God, when we're up front where the action is thick, then we don't have time to complain. This doesn't mean that things are always going well, it doesn't mean that things are never wrong. But if something needs addressing rather than complaining, if you do something about it, you do. And you move forward. And if you can't do something about it, you simply voice your confidence that God will take care of it. And again, you move on. I want you to look at Moses' incredible example in this regard. Look at how Moses replies to the people's unfair accusation towards him and their fear. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you this day. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, if that's not confidence, I don't know what is. Look at that super powerful army bearing down on us. We have no, well, we have very little weapons. We have very little way of defending ourselves. They're a superpower army of the world of that day. Look at them. Remember them because you are never going to see them again. (laughs) That's confidence. Moses believed. Now, I've told you before this story, how when I was a totally green, 
wet behind the ears, 19-year-old, first-time program director at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. That summer, it seemed that everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it was only three days from the start of the very first week of camp that we had no chapel speaker or a camp nurse lined up. Now, if any of you know how camp operates, ironically, we could run camp without a chapel speaker, which meant that I was going to wing it, but we could absolutely not run camp without a camp nurse, and if we tried to, the government would shut us down, which is not a good scenario to be in. So knowing this, three days out from camp, we're at staff training up at Dauphin. We know this is a massive need, and so we just prayed, and we said, God, you know what we need. We, we know that you know that camp cannot happen unless these positions are filled. We need a nurse, we need a chapel speaker, and we're three days away. And so I'll always remember, in that prayer time, the way that Howard and Kathy prayed. You've got to remember, it was their very first year as directors at, at TNBC that year as well. But when they prayed, there was something about their attitude that struck me, because they prayed with a complete confidence that God would answer. I remember Kathy praying something just simple, like, God, we thank you in advance for how you're going to answer this prayer how you're going to come through for us. She had such confidence. And she would say things like, God, we know that this is important to you. And so we know that you're going to make a way. And just the way she prayed, the way Howard prayed, it just rubbed off on the rest of us. And long story short, before we left staff training the very next day, not only did we have a nurse lined up for the entire week, but it also just so happened that a school teacher who just so happened to specialize in the exact age of children we were having that week had prepared chapel sessions to speak at Bible camps the entire summer, and it just so happened that this was the one week of the entire summer that she still had open. Three days out. And she was there on Monday. And when more challenges arose later on, rather than complaining, we remembered that. And we would begin, begin to say things like, I wonder how God's going to come through on this one. And without fail, he did. Move forward from complaining into confidence that God will make a way. It's easy to stand and look at the Red Sea and complain, but it's another thing to look at the Red Sea and look back at the army and say, I wonder how God's going to come through. And that's what Moses did. Look at these chariots. You're never going to see them again. God is going to fight for you. Believe him. Move from complaining to confidence. Thirdly, move from backsliding to walking where no man has walked before. Verse 12, they said to Moses, Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now think about that. They had just been brought out from under the whips of Pharaoh. And within a few days, they're saying, We'd be better off back there in slavery. Now why anyone would ever want to go back to Egypt and to slavery is beyond me. Yet in a parallel sense, many Christians start taking longing glances over their shoulders at well. Remember, Egypt represents sin, the old life before Christ. And when we as Christians start taking longing glances over our shoulders, missing the pleasure of sin they've left behind, dabbling in it again, before they know it, they have stopped moving in the direction that God wants them to go. Let me ask you, do you ever find yourself missing the things of your past? Longing for sins that you used to participate in? If so, then chances are you've stopped going forward. So when the past looks better than the future, we need to adjust our sights. 
And this is why Jesus said in Luke 9.62, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You see, if Israel had kept looking back, they could not have seen the path that God miraculously opened up for them through the sea. But when they finally stopped looking back in fear and looked ahead to what God had done for them, then they got to walk on ground that no man had ever walked on before or since the very bottom of the Red Sea. How cool is that? No one's walked there before or since. Well, actually, the Egyptians were the last ones, but they didn't get out, did they? It's covered by water to this day. Move forward. Fourthly, moving forward always requires a first step. There's a Chinese proverb that says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. You know, I found in my life that often it's the first step that's the hardest. Take when Peter hung his foot out over the side of that boat, preparing to walk out on the water to Jesus. That first step was a doozy. Watch out for that one. It's a big one. So too, God told Moses to take the first step of faith, stretch out your staff, and when Moses obeyed and did what God told him to do, the winds began to blow and the waters began to roll back on every side. Then after they parted, it took another courageous soul who was willing to be the first to step out onto this path and walk under the towering waves on either side. But you see, God always moves when we are willing to obey him And take the first step of faith that he asks of us. It might be a big one like Peter. Maybe it's a small step. But whatever it is, we have to take the first one. If we want to make it to the destination. And so today to the church, I believe the Lord would say, The fields are white unto harvest. The fields are white unto harvest. We need more workers in the harvest field. And so rise up. Step out and move forward into the mission that I have already called you to. Repent of complacency. Break loose of the shackles of lukewarm religion and apathy. Forget Egypt. Forget the temporary pleasure of sin. Leave it behind. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not see it? I am making a way for you. All you need to do is believe, take the first step, and go forward. And I believe that to each one of us as individuals, the Lord would say that what we need to do is to get up, stop sleeping, stop being spiritually lazy, stop wallowing in self-pity, stop focusing on the difficulty of our circumstances, stop harboring bitterness and anger or resentment, and go forward. And you see, before the church collectively can go forward, each one of us individually must take the first step in our personal lives. Because remember, it is individuals that make up the collective body of Christ, the church. I want to close with this story of how Israel's trials at the Red Sea had the same effect on one woman. She was called by God as a missionary to China many years ago. But she'd been forced to flee her mission area in World War II when the Japanese army invaded that part of China. She, however, could not leave the people she loved to suffer behind, and especially the many orphans under her care. With only one assistant to help her, she led more than 100 children over the mountains to reach freedom. At one point in their flight over the mountains, she grappled with complete despair. It seemed there was no hope that they'd ever get away, no hope of ever reaching safety. 
After one particularly sleepless night, a 14-year-old girl in the group came up to her and took her hand. And the girl reminded the missionary of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And the missionary replied with despair, But I am not Moses! Of course you aren't, replied the little girl. But Jehovah is still God. Now, you might not feel right now the same confidence and faith that Moses had in that moment, but that's okay. Because though you are not Moses, though I am not Moses, Jehovah is still God. The same God who led them through the Red Sea is the same God we are serving today. He is able to do what you cannot. So move from fear to faith. Burn the bridge to Egypt behind you. Just leave it behind, that that old lust of sin and pleasure and all those things that drag us down that so easily hinder our our progress. Burn the bridges to them. And then take the first step of faith into the new path that God will reveal to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray in this moment that the faith of a mustard seed would be planted in each one of our hearts right now. However small it may be, you said the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. And so I pray, God, that you would plant that mustard seed of faith in each one of us, that what we have experienced to this point in our lives is not the end. You have more to show us. You have more to do through us and in us for your glory's sake and the saving of many. May it be done according to your will. I pray it in Jesus' name.